During my many years of delivering workshops and coaching, I've had the privilege of meeting women from all over the world, all ages and all cultures. My work has given me close up exposure to the challenges facing women. Now, some of these challenges exist because of environmental biases, others because of social biases. I've studied women who've not just broken the glass ceiling, but shattered it, as well as observing what gets in the way for those who are stuck. Now, not everyone wants to touch the ceiling. Perhaps it's more about getting recognition for your work. There are no right or wrong decisions. It's simply about knowing what does success look like at this time in your life and not allowing other people to define you. Although we've seen progress being made, research continues to illustrate that there are biases and barriers, some very subtle, that still hold females back from moving up. But often, as I see it, as women, we have our own self-limiting barriers that sabotage opportunities for greater success. Let me explain what I see that holds women back. The behaviors that we use to move up to achieve high positions offer undermine ourselves as we move further up because what worked in the past is no longer working today. Marshall Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, is a testimonial that we must always be moving forward. We have to be claiming our achievements, which is often difficult for women. We have to shift from apologizing to asking for what we want and what we deserve. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I've invited a very special guest to share her insights and wisdom for navigating a successful career, whatever success looks like to you. Natalie Benamu is Chief Executive Officer of Her C-Suite a platform that offers companies a mentoring and executive framework to help women achieve success in every phase of their career. Natalie's held leadership roles for over 25 years, including president of HBA, a global women's organization, where I had the privilege of co-facilitating a workshop with her. I describe her as a purpose-driven leader, a strategic event creator, a speaker, but more than that, a rainmaker for women who want to rise and thrive. Welcome, Natalie. Roz, it's such an honor to be here with you today. Thanks for having me on the show. Anytime, anytime. We've got lots of questions to ask you. But the first is, how did you manage politics Were you in the, were in the corporate world? I think the thing to do is to really understand all the sides. Because when we only are viewing our own perspective and not seeing the other side, it makes it much harder to come in the middle. And I would say because of my business development background, I was always looking at the other side, trying to understand the other side and being curious. And so part of it is first trying to understand their perspective. And secondly, you need allies within an organization to whom you can go to for advice and also who will represent you in the background when something's being said that might not be accurate. I hear a lot from women that they they feel like they can't navigate because of a toxic rock star or something in that nature. And really it comes down to having those allies that can help you 
get through that moment and know how to have those critical conversations. And I'm always admiring some of the women in our platform who share how they addressed it and uh, got through it. How was it that you didn't get turned off from the word politics when I asked you that question? (laughs) So many women do. Well, I took it as that, you know, politics can mean other things, right, in this world that we live in. Um, but I uh, I think that what it comes down to is how people are communicating and receiving and giving information. And that's all by understanding what is the intent behind the message. I really admire you because my experience of knowing you is, is you don't personalize things. You step back and you assess the situation. And that takes a lot of self-discipline not to get emotional about certain political happenings in one's life. Is there any advice you have for being able to take that mindset and act it out? Well, recently I have been doing a lot more meditation, believe it or not, and I have found that breath work um, and meditation really helps ground the person and me personally to not be so quick to react. I haven't always been (laughs) able to do that, so it is a conscious decision that one has to make to try to ground yourself, do some breathing before it's easy to read an email, for example, which I think is the biggest culprit for misunderstanding, and you hear it one way in your head. It's not how the person intended, but that's how you're receiving the message, and so it's easy to quickly respond. So I would say to uh, your to all the listeners who are listening to this to pause before reacting. Sometimes, even if you feel the pressure, like, oh, I have to respond right away. Actually, you probably don't. Even if you wait till the next day, it's going to benefit you in the long run. Mm, Great, great advice. I I use a different theory. I don't (laughs) meditate. I I think I should. I usually just scale it one to five. One, Mm. meaning it's not worth it. Forget it. Three goes into consideration, so I don't do anything. But if it's a five, that means I have to open my mouth. If it means it's going to, you know, sabotage my brand reputation, then I will speak up. But I I think the combination of meditation and and however you, however it works for someone, but, but great advice. Another question, what defining moments told you that you needed to change the way you managed your career? Or when you knew you hit a wall or a ceiling? Well, I I think one of the defining moments, um, and we've talked about this, but I actually used your used one of your quotes recently, which is I'm not sure I'm believing what you're sharing with me, or it's it's something I'm probably paraphrasing it <laughs> wrong, but I, I used it a lot recently. <laughs> um, with a with very a very diplomatic personal situation. Um But I think, you know, um, whenever I've hit a wall, I've made it it sort of like I double down in a stubborn way, maybe. And one of my favorite um, sayings is persistence pays off and and looking at things in the long run. So um, sometimes when we get knocked off and we're like, oh, then that's it. And I usually allow myself a few an hour or something or a day and then I come back and go at something even harder. So. Uh, I had a situation where I was working for a Canadian company, 
um, one of the biggest Canadian exhibit companies um, in the world, actually. And I knew it wasn't the right fit. I actually had turned down the job and the president came back and said, you are, you sold Cutco. You have to come work for me. You're one of the top people in the industry. <laughs> it's true. I sold Cutco. And um, so I did. I took this job and I was by myself. I was the only executive woman uh, in the company out of 200 people. I was the only VP and it was just not the right fit in any way, shape or form. But I stuck it out and I kept trying and I had all these this business. And at five o'clock on a Friday, I got a call and they said, we're closing Chicago. It's not working for us. <laughs> I said, wow. what? What are you saying to me right now? And actually, I, where I was, I was actually visiting um, my, my my stepdad at the time. So here I was doubly humiliated because I, went, I was there. And then he sees the one and only time I've ever been fired uh, right before his eyes. And that was really humiliating. And I was with my, my two girls. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, my husband was out of the country. And so I gave myself like an hour and then I just started opening up to my network. And I know we're going to talk about network, but I made three calls. And by the next day, I had three job offers. By Monday, I was on a plane. And by Tuesday, I accepted one of the three. And wow. so sometimes things come to you in unexpected ways. And that was the one and only time that I ever had something like that happen to me. But it also gives me empathy for when that happens to others to understand how it can knock you down and really make you feel not great about yourself because you're like, what is what happened? Right. So I think it's really important to take it in, but then not let it defeat you. For sure. It, it sort of reminds me of the idea of it's not what happens to you, it's the attitude you choose to manage through For it. Sure. Yes. And often a blessing in disguise. I just find that amazing that you had three offers. Yeah, so, I think it was the quickest. I think people have told me that's the quickest they've ever heard anybody getting a job offer. <laughs> but and it's hard not to personalize networked. it. Yeah, yeah it, mm -hmm. it's hard not to personalize it, especially today. What we see out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I was speaking to a client, and she's just a wonderful human being, and, and it hired me for a huge project last year, and, and apologized and said, "I'm sorry, I've been fired." And I said, "Why are you apologizing?" And, 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 you know, new beginnings, but it's really around how you look at the, is the glass half empty, half full, or maybe it's just not enough water at the moment. But, but I love the fact with your networking, which we're going to go to, but I want to ask you a couple of other things before that. Uh, and what do you think sabotages? I mean, what happened to you? You had no choice, but what sabotages women's chances in moving up? What, what do you see? I think there's a couple things. One of the biggest things, and I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with this, is women expect their work to be noticed. I once had a, a boss who was a creative, he was the creative um, out of, there was two owners and he was the creative director, VP. And he said, you don't get recognized for doing your job. Like that's just baseline. You're supposed to do your job. You get recognized when you go beyond the job and then do other things. And I, I think women mistakenly think that even if they're doing their job well, that's the expectation baseline and they're expecting people to notice and promote them. And that is not how it works. And, you know, thinking back to your, your quote from Marshall Goldsmith, you have to keep thinking about what can I do to differentiate? One of my favorite books is Blue Ocean Strategy, which they have many new books coming out, a new one coming out actually 
in Maine. It's about how do you stand out in the sea, in the Red Sea? How do you stand out as a blue person, you know, blue as a color blue? And that's the same for women, that if they think that they're going to be tapped on the shoulder for a promotion, it just doesn't happen. So it's really important for them to get visibility, to have speaking, to to gain, make articles and make connections. And that is what's stopping them if they don't take advantage of the different outlets where they can be seen and heard. It's interesting that you say that there is research done that women believe that it's not okay to ask for help. And and they found that that they're less likely to ask for deadline extensions and they're more likely to experience stress related to deadlines, uh, which undermines their well-being. We, We just feel that we should be able to do it all ourselves and do it perfectly. Do you see that with women, the need to you know, that perfectionist trap that we fall into? Well, I know you have the seven traps and that's one of mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I love that book. If Everyone should get it. If you don't have Roz's book, I love that book. But um, that is one of mine. Um, it's easy to fall into that and just think that you have to go that extra mile. You have to go the extra mile. That same boss that I was quoting also used to say 85% is good enough. <laughs> Right. You know, and it's like your 85% is probably someone else's 110, right? So um, I do think that women in general feel like they have to have everything, all the dots, you know, and, and T's crossed. And sometimes you can just let it go and, and, and be pleasantly surprised that you got some sleep, that, you know, it still turned out okay, that things are, people are happy, um, deadlines are a tough one, though. Women definitely, I could see how that would be rough about not asking for sure, not asking for help. Exactly. What about this question from other research that I've been enjoying reading? Women need to feel that they have to sacrifice to succeed, like they have to work really hard to feel that they're doing the right thing. Hmm. Well, I think women, unfortunately, the the dynamic um, is still such, right, that they they do have to try to do a lot of different hats, you know, whether it's being a, a parent or a, a partner, a sister, a daughter, a caregiver, uh, on top of trying to achieve at work. And sometimes those things are crashing into one another. So I think that is one of the hard things that women struggle with is, how, how I have to go that extra mile. Now, I will say, you know, I've read uh, many books recently um, uh, about this, that it is different for different demographics in the population of how they get seen and heard and have to try harder. So I think there are some unseen biases that make it so they feel they have to do that. And it does come back to the allyship and having people in your corner that will be your sponsor, will to your horn when you're not there um, to help you not have to feel like you have to go that extreme, um, the extreme lengths that women do. I, I noticed that sometimes women make themselves almost indispensable in the work that they do. You know, How does that come back to bite them? Well, you know, what's funny is that I sort of have that philosophy of like, everyone's dispensable. You can't believe that you are, it's human nature that you can be replaced. And so to have that belief that you have to do all that extra work to make it seem like they can't 
proceed without you actually makes you look less promotable in a way because you're not being seen as a leader. So I would encourage anyone listening to this to think differently and, you know, not be the note taker in the room and not feel like you have to prove something in in the meetings, but to sit back and be thoughtful and careful about what you're saying to be visible in a way that gives you that leadership visibility as opposed to like feeling like you have to prove something all the time. It's interesting. I was talking to a client yesterday about the psychology boardroom seatings. And Natalie, mm. we were discussing where do you sit for power and presence, etc. She said to me, I never sit too close to the front of the of the room. I go, why? And she says, because I'm the only female on the leadership team. And for whatever reason, I tend to be asked to do things like go get the coffee. I mean, you know, whatever it is. Or take notes. And she says, if I sit in the back, they forget about me. And that's fine. At least I don't have to participate in wasting time in doing things like that. Well, that would be something, and I'm sure you probably coached her on this, but the first thing is to not do those things. When they ask, you could say, well, I'm sure so-and-so would be glad to come in here and take the notes. That's a great idea. I like that suggestion. I once um, interviewed someone that she 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 was very high up at MasterCard, and um, it was assumed because she was the only woman that she was there to take notes, and she was actually presenting this big presentation. And uh, her colleague had reached over and said, "Oh, you know, um, here's a notepad for you to take notes." And she said, "Well, I'm glad you're giving that to me, but I'm actually the one that's presenting." <laughs> and I oh, think, no. and I think. Um, I th- and I, it was a teachable moment, and I guess it came out okay, but I think what what the learning here is that you should be at the front of the room. I mean, you ask, I'm always at the front. I'm at the head of the table or in the middle so that I can see everyone, one of those two places. So I have good visibility to watch people's expressions, to see what they're thinking, to interact with them. So please tell her, and if she's listening, go to the front of the room and defer any of those coffee or notes to that's a great suggestion. Let's ask so-and-so to come in and do that for us. For sure. We had a long discussion. I bet you that. did. <laughs> I sure did. And I always say, wherever you're sitting, make sure you're facing the door. It's always important. Part mm-hmm. of a power um, seating. Mm-hmm. There's something that I notice, not just with women, but with men. And, and it's a topic that I'm sure you've discussed for many, many years. And it's called the imposter syndrome. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I think it's very easy and men have this too. So I'm glad that you mentioned it, that something triggers in our head, a belief that we are not, and then fill in the blank. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. We're, you know, we can't possibly do that role because now the difference is, and I'm sure you, you recognize this too, is that when it comes to an opportunity, and there's 10 things on a list, men will think they have one, raise their hand and go for it. Even if they know in the back of their head, they're feeling like, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. They still will raise their hand. But women with imposter syndrome want that perfectionism, that, that um, you know, one of the traits, right, that they feel like they have to have at least 90% on that list. And so they start self-doubting and they start thinking about, you know, what I what I can't do. Um, there's a, a great resource, Women Against Negative Self-Talk, 
um, and Katie Horwich. And I really encourage anyone, if you feel like you have that problem where you're self-doubting, um, to, it's an, uh, I think it's an app, but she's definitely online. She's um, uh, both an athletic person and um, very much around women and empowerment. And it's creating the, the, a little resource that dispels those things. Like if you think, well, so-and-so is not believing in me, well, then you need like a, a file um, old school printed out of any time someone says something positive, print it out and you just go to that reference file to dispel that negative belief. That is one of, I think, the hardest things is we get ideas in our head that we can't do it or we don't know much about the subject or we're not a subject matter expert. So how could I be a speaker or whatever? You fill it in the blank and you just need those examples to remind yourself you're pretty awesome and other people think so too. I also feel that when we do get compliments, we should not negate them mm, or, so or make an excuse for them. Or if someone says you did a great job, you know, saying, oh, it was just luck. When I hear that, my hair stands up. Or I couldn't do it without my team. And they're obviously recognizing others' help is, is very important. But you've got to own it. If people give me a compliment, Natalie... I'm, I have no problem whether it's true or not. I'll just say thank you so much. It's very kind of you. <laughs> exactly. No, I know that's so important. And I used to do that because the feedback I got, actually, one of my feedback was like, you know, you have to thank everyone. You have to be thankful. And I am a very grateful person. But to your point, you know, if you're the one that was ultimately responsible for something and someone says, wow, you really did it. You hit a home run today. Saying thank you is really the way to go on that. Yes. And I add, thank you for recognizing that. Yeah. Because I, I really good. feel we shouldn't minimize it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we are unconsciously doing. And I, I blame a lot of our self-talk. Mm -hmm. Because if you ever wrote down your self-talk on paper, I think we would, if we said to our kids what we say to ourselves, I'm not sure they would grow up healthy. Oh my gosh, you're right. Totally right on that. <laughs> and I love, you know, when I see these young people coming into corporations and I have the privilege of training them, they are so full of gusto and confidence and, and I think what we might be doing to ourselves is when we compare ourselves to other people, that really um, ignites the imposter trap in us because you can't compare yourself to other people. It's, and it's not measurable. How do, you, how do you compare? But we sometimes do that. We make assumptions when we're presenting. I know they're not enjoying it. I'm probably messing up. You know, our little gremlins in our heads. Oh, yeah. I just had a conversation with someone who did a fantastic job. She did a big workshop and she was sharing with me, but, you know, well, I didn't handle this one thing as well as I could have. And I was like, well, is that you thinking about that or is that really the truth? Like, what is true? I have a quote from um, one of our members, what else is true? And I think that is so, such a good way to remind ourselves what else is true makes us pause to think, well, maybe that, that really isn't what's really happening here, you know? Yeah, I'm going back to what you said earlier. I really like the idea of writing down what people say. And I do have a folder, a testimonial folder, when I have the, the good fortune of having people thank me or giving me feedback. I, I keep it in this folder. And it just makes me feel, like, good about myself. 
Um, and sometimes we need that lift, right, to think about how others perceive us, but we also have to lift ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's two-sided for sure. But on those days it where is. you're feeling, you're just not, it doesn't even have to be imposter syndrome. You could just be having a day, right? And having that little, someone saying, I really appreciated you or thank you so much. It really makes a world of difference. Absolutely. Let's move into a very, very important topic. And it is networking. I know that's a passion of yours and and that's something that you've taken to a level that very few people have yet to ever experienced. What do you think holds women back from asserting themselves more in a networking context? Well, I think it goes back to, again, I keep referencing the Marshall Goldsmith, but you have these old ideas of what networking used to be, and now networking is completely different. And the first thing I would say is that if you are waiting, just like the the person that's waiting to get tapped on the shoulder for um, a promotion, you're waiting for people to come to you. It's not how it works. You have to give first. There's Gary Vaynerchuk has a book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, I think it's called. And that in that he talks about you have to give, give, give and be of service and help people and then they will reciprocate and offer to network or make a connection. But I think being of service first, being a super connector and thinking about who do you know when someone tells you I'm I'm looking for a publisher. Oh, I know somebody who's a publisher. Let me just connect you. I mean, I'm giving that example, but there's many, many examples where you can make a connection first before you start asking the person to make a connection. So it's really finding commonalities and offering to make things happen first. And women sometimes are waiting for the person to notice them and that just doesn't happen anymore. They, they sometimes do. And sometimes I think that we worry about imposing on other people. Uh, there's a book I wanted to share the name because it's, it's similar to your theme. And it's called It's Just Not Who You Know by Tommy Spaulding. And he refers to networking to shift it to net giving, whereby instead of just trying to meet people and build up your contacts, is what could you give back to them as well? So that whole idea of servitude. I believe really helps people to feel better about networking. Net giving is one of my favorite things that you shared with me uh, previously that I, I use all the time of thinking about how can you give give to other people? And it's really a beautiful way to not think about network. Because if you think about the word network, you hear the word work and you think that it's going it to, does, it does take intentionality, but it doesn't have to be something you dread. I know. So how do you expand your network? So much of the work we do now is online. Any recommendations of best practices? Well, I think you have to find ways to connect with people, whether, you know, there's a lot of virtual, like you said, you know, it's a lot of getting together not in person as much. Um, and so when you can't get in, in front of them in, in person, finding little ways to make connections, whether you send an article in advance, I saw this article and it made me think of you, I can't wait to talk, or you know, finding commonalities to make connections. I recently had an interesting converse, back and forth um, uh, conversation on LinkedIn of all places. Well, I guess it's the biggest network we have, but um, in this person's title, he had um, Love Dogs Movie Buff. 
And so I said, oh, well, what kind of dogs do you have and what's your favorite movie? And then we just started this whole conversation, which was totally not related to anything other than something kind of enjoyable first. And so I think we have to think about that of finding those little commonalities that you can have that are not necessarily always business. I would suggest not going for business first, but finding totally. way, where your common interests lie and then have fun with it, you know? I, I love what you just said. And of course, you know, I love dogs. And I know you Louis, do. <laughs> Louis and Gidget, they have brought me so much uh, exposure on LinkedIn. I remember when I first got Louie, we had him in front of a computer. He was all like four months old and four pounds. I probably had about 12,000 hits that day, the likes and hearts, et cetera. And it also allows people to see the human side of you, correct? Yes, absolutely correct, for sure. So with regard to networking, what would you say are, where do we start? What are best practices I think the first thing is to find out about the other person. That's step number one. Um, And even taking a step further back, please, if you're on LinkedIn, have a photo. And it can't be a photo of you with someone else. It has to be a clean shot, which now you could just get on Zoom and take a photo and then pop it up there. It's there's You could do it on your phone. There's so many easy ways to get a good photo. Please have a photo. It is not, no one wants to network with the shadowy, you know, the shadow outline. It's um, scary, it right? It is, yes. And, you know, you have two places that you can say something. One is that, which I know you have, um, you actually have video. You can also pronounce your name. And then there's a place for a header, which you can create in Canva for free to have a, some words about yourself of what interests are just a picture instead of the gray background. So that would be the first two things. If you really do want to build your network, take a few minutes to, to take time on that. And then uh, look for ways to connect with the person like I was describing earlier. And you, you need to take time to, to find out about that person. Where do they live? Where are they? Where do they go to school? Where, where are they working? What are their interests? And say, oh, I noticed that we have these shared connections and I really like this person. I'm so glad that you do too, or something like that. You can't just hit the, you know, connect button. That is not the personal way. It has to be personalized. Natalie, you do something that's very special. And I thank you for this. I probably have not thanked you before, but if I post something, your name's there and you you give me a little heart or a comment. Do you make that a habit for doing that on a more frequent basis? I try to I do just- it every day. Yeah. If I if it comes in my feed, now sometimes, I mean, unfortunately, as you probably have um, a lot of people that you follow, so sometimes the algorithm isn't friendly. <laughs> so then right. I have to intentionally go, but that is a way to show someone that, you know, usually, well, if I like your stuff, it's because I think you have fabulous things. So it's an honor and pleasure and easy to say, to say things and like your things. But yes, you, um, I actually, another thing that I've done recently is if I see an article by that person, I will post the article or reshare the article and Mm. then reach out to them and say, Oh, I really enjoyed your HBR article, and it would be so great if I could if I could connect with you and learn more about the amazing things you do. 
And so then they feel like, wow, you shared my article. That's great. And then they connect with you. It's much easier when they see that you are appreciating them. Again, it goes back to that giving first. And it's not inauthentic. What I'm describing is authentic ways that I reach out, not fakey, you know, doing it for, you know, self, but doing it for servitude first. And you're also benefiting other people by sharing interesting articles. I I love that idea. I'm going to copy that idea. I don't do that. Well, I, I wanted I, to go have so back. many good ideas, Roz. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if I can really give too many new ones, but I'm trying. <laughs> so well, you you built this whole wonderful organization, Hersey Suite, through networking. And, and how do you do that? How have you been able to be so successful? And maybe talk a little bit about that for our, our listeners. Well, it's funny when I started Hersey Suite, I really thought it was going to be the alternative to. Uh, the biggest network that we were talking about earlier (laughs) for women. I thought, you know, we are going to be the community, the alternative, uh, because it is a networking community platform first and foremost. And then it's where we do all the things, uh, masterminds and things like that. But it is the one differentiator is there's no solicitation. There's networking, meaning you meet people. And if business comes out of that conversation, great. But there's no like, hey, I am this and I'd like your business. Like I get a thousand of those a day from from the the biggest (laughs) networking platform. And it's overwhelming, you know, it fills your your inbox. And so we don't have that. In fact, it's in our rules <laughs> in the community. And I think the women really appreciate it, that it's authentic conversations where they are really helping each other. It's a supportive community. And that makes a big difference for women to know that they are valued and they matter and that they can rely on others to help them. Yeah, I love the idea. There's no solicitation. It's about creating meaningful relationships. And that's what life is about, right? Exactly. They they were identifying what makes people happy. And the number one word came out relationships and and to treasure them, right? To to make them meaningful. Absolutely. 100%. I want to go back to a question that I hadn't asked you yet, but it's really critical. I see women, they're making headways, they're moving up, and and then they hit a wall or ceiling in their career, in their companies. And and a lot of times, I believe it's because they don't have sponsorship. And by sponsorship, it's about being able to have the right people speak about you behind closed doors. Have you any thoughts on the concept of sponsorship and any advice? I do. And, you know, people sometimes confuse sponsorship with mentorship. It's two completely different things. Both take intentionality, whether you ask someone to be a mentor or whether you're looking for a sponsor. So there's a few things. The sponsor is someone that's at least two levels above you. It's not your boss. It's not even your boss's boss. It should be at a senior leader level in the organization. And if you're a senior leader, then it can be someone in the C-suite. If you're in the C-suite, it can be someone else in the C-suite. But you do need someone at a very high level. And the reason is that decisions are made behind closed doors without you there. And one of my favorite stories, which is actually an HBA story, is Mike Kaufman, who is the CEO of Cardinal Health. It's a 48,000-person organization. It's pretty big. And uh, years ago, he was in 
a room, just happened to be in a room, and there were some VPs talking about a woman and was she the right person for the role. And it turned out that she had two young children and the, the role was going to require some some travel. And so without asking her, they were like, well, you know, I, we don't think she'd want this role because of these things. So how about let's move on to someone else? And he intervened and said, wait a second, you're not even asking if she wants the role. You don't know what she might be interested in or willing to do. Let's ask. And it turned out she took that role. But if he hadn't been in that room, then they would not have, they would have made this assumption about her and not offered her the role, which is happening a lot. A lot of women at director level don't move to VP. That is the, that is the one area I'm sure. Haven't you seen that, Roz? Where yes. it's the director. The directors are stuck. I mean, they really are. And without that sponsor, the two levels up, who would intervene like I just described, you're not going to have that offer, even if you're doing all the right things and you're not waiting for someone to, to, you know, tap you on the shoulder. And the last thing is when you meet with a sponsor, it should be like for 15 minutes. Don't expect them to be there for an hour. You go with an agenda, you tell them in advance, I would like for you to be my sponsor. Here's what I'd like to ask you about. And it takes very specific intentionality. So they know what to expect and they're not deer in the headlights, like you just show up at their door and say, oh, I want you to be my sponsor. What do you think? And expect them to do some work. You have to do the work in advance, know about them, know what they're doing and know how they can help you. Because that's the biggest thing. If they don't know how to help you, they won't. That is so well articulated. From my perspective, I always tell people they should first look for sponsors who are in higher positions of authority. They have to have clout, right? They don't yeah. have clout, what's good. Yeah. And then they also have to know your work. If, if they don't know what you do and what you've succeeded in doing, how could they speak about you? And, and I think that those three things are, are really important and it's so much so added to your wisdom. We're coming to the end and I wanted to, I would could talk for hours with you, but I, I wanted to ask you, if there's anything else you could add, the wisdom, your experiences that would help women to own their personal power, um, ditch the imposter trap and, and create the magic in their life that they deserve. I think that the heart of everything is to know you matter. People, you matter. You're important on this earth. You're here. No one else is like you. And so you need to surround yourself with people that level you up to help support you. You are, the re- you are the result of the five to six people you surround yourself with. And if you level up, just like we were talking about the, um, the sponsor, surround yourself with people, and in this case, women, that are going to help you to level up. And I know you have you know, the art of wow that's coming up and going to a program like that where women come together, they're going to help you level up. It's it's who you surround yourself with makes a huge difference in how you look at things, seeing the, the world not just half full glass, but overflowing and expressing gratitude always. That's my last advice. 
Yes. Oh, gratitude especially. Mm -hmm. What you said reminded me of Will Rogers said years ago, I think he was an actor. He said, let others toot your horn and the sound will carry twice as far. Mm, yes. You've given our listeners such wisdom. I can't thank you enough, Natalie. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I have to find another topic that I want to bring you back really soon because you just bring so much sense and, and goodwill. You've uplifted me, and I thank you so much for being on my podcast. Roz, it's all my honor to be here with you. You're one of my mentors, someone I look up to. It's amazing to be in your sphere, to know you, all the ways you give back to women and people. And I am inspired by you every day. And thank you for all that you do to help women. Thank you. Natalie, how could people get in touch with you? Roz, thank you for asking that. My LinkedIn handle is Natalie Benamou, N-A-T-A-L-I-E-B-E-N-A-M-O-U. And you can also find me on hersuite.com and schedule a call. And that's H-E-R-C-S-U-I-T-E.com. And I would be delighted to have a call with you. If you wish to listen to our past episodes or more information on the Asheroff Institute, please visit asheroff.com. I wish you a wonderful rest of your day.